1 Samuel chapter 4. I'll begin reading with verse 1. Now the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines, and they encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And the troops came to camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God. As soon as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout, so the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened to us before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled every man to his home, and there was a very great great slaughter. For there fell Israel 30,000 foot soldiers, and the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli Hophni and Phinehas died. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh that same day with his clothes torn and dirt from his head. He arrived. Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is this uproar? And the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old. And his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? And he brought the news and answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel 40 years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, The woman attending her said to her, do not be afraid for you've born a son, but she did not answer or pay attention. She named the child Ichabod saying, the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. There's an old British proverb that says it is always darkest just before the dawn. That's just a very poetic way of saying that sometimes things have to get much, much worse before they get better. 
So you and I live in a fallen world, a world that has been shrouded by darkness, and we feel that sentiment every single day of our lives, that things surely are just going to have to get worse before they get better. And this morning, as you join us in church, whether you are a believer in God or not, every single one of us has to admit that we live in a dark world and that there are times when we feel overwhelmed by that darkness. Perhaps you feel that darkness this morning. Darkness that comes from a world that is so divided. A political discourse that raises every single issue that we face in life immediately to an us versus them. Maybe you feel this darkness with all the seemingly unchecked evil that we face. Just last week, as we considered human trafficking, slavery, unjust war all over the world, terrorism, we face unspeakable darkness. Darkness that we're reminded of when earthquakes happen and typhoons come crashing on a sore, reminding us that there is nothing that we possess in this life that lasts forever. And yes, if we're going to be honest, there's a darkness that resides deep down in our souls with every single sin that we commit against God and against man. The question that you and I must reckon with this morning is what do we do with that darkness Darkness that's inside of us. Darkness that's all around us. But there is good news. It is darkest just before the dawn. And dawn is coming. The great author J.R.R. Tolkien, he believed that this truth was the basis of every single good story. Why? Because it's true of our own story. He called this the good catastrophe. It's the idea that the very best stories that have ever been written are the kind of stories where every single thing goes from bad to worse. Our hero is in jeopardy. Things are falling apart all around him right up until the very end where suddenly it turns and everything is redeemed. He put it best through a mere hobbit, named Samwise Gamgee. I want you to listen to Sam's words to Frodo. It's like in all the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. Sometimes you don't know the end, because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was before when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow, even darkness must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clear. Do you hear Sam's words this morning? Even the darkness must pass. A new day will come. This morning, we're looking at one of the darkest sections in all of Scripture, one of the darkest chapters of Israel's history. Dark because of the darkness of Israel's sin, 
And yes, dark because of the darkness of God's judgment. But even in all of this darkness, we see that there is good news. Good news that belongs to you and me. God was at work, and he is at work today. And in the story of Israel, we find our own story this morning. It's always darkest before the dawn. Dawn is coming. I want to look at this in three ways this morning. The first is this. I want to look at the darkness of our sin. Throughout the Bible, darkness is used as a metaphor for human depravity. I'll just give you a few passages this morning. You can write these down if you want to and look them up later. Proverbs 4.19. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. Isaiah 5 verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. John 3.19. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people who loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. What does the darkness of sin look like? We're about to see in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And if we're going to be honest, we're going to see this in ourselves as well. I want you to look with me at verse 1. 1 Samuel 4 verse 1. The word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. Something very important is happening in the middle of this verse. Up until this point in Samuel, Samuel is the hero. Samuel is who the story is centered around. And then Samuel goes dark. We will not hear the name of Samuel again until chapter 7. The word of the Lord comes to Samuel, and then we hear Israel went out to battle. Verse 2, the Philistines drew up in line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated for the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men. It's difficult for us to comprehend what we're reading. In just one verse, we get an entire battle, a battle in which Israel is defeated soundly. 4,000 soldiers from Israel die. I want you to put yourself in their shoes. I want you to try to imagine all of the horrors of war And what it must have been like, not only for the army of Israel, but for the people who sent them out. How they must have felt when they heard that they were defeated. Israel went to battle against the Philistines. The Philistines were their primary enemy at this time in the history of Israel. We don't know what started this first battle. But what we do know is that Israel lost And the people were stunned. I want you to see how the elders of Israel respond. Verse 3. The people came to the camp and the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? It's a very provocative question. After they've been defeated, notice the elders are not questioning God's control. They're not wondering, hey, God must not be powerful. They're not even wondering, where was God? They're recognizing that they were defeated not because God was absent. (laughs) 
They recognized they were defeated because God was present. Why has the Lord defeated us? It's an important question. It's the right question. It's the right question. Why did he defeat them? Because of their sin. Book of Deuteronomy so often outlines all of the ways that God would curse Israel if they disobeyed. And one of those ways was this. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. The sin of Israel has finally caught up to them. The darkness of their own depravity has finally caught up with them. The darkness of the sin of Eli's sons, yes, but the darkness of their own depravity, where everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, where they had rejected the authority of God and they'd made themselves little kings over their own kingdoms. And so this is what they do. They ask this question, why did the Lord defeat us? It's the right question, but they give the wrong answer. Look again at verse three. Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Rather than repent, rather than confess their sin, rather than recognize that they have been defeated by the Lord because of their depravity, they decide that they're going to go and get the ark and they're going to try to use God instead. They're going to try to force his hand. You see, for them, God had become no more than just a mere superstition. As a kid in Texas, I grew up as a Texas Rangers fan. Now, uh, the Texas Rangers were not very good when I was a kid. And so, so much of coming up to the ballpark was just to get a hot dog. And if you're lucky, you might see a couple home runs but you, you probably weren't gonna win. That all changed, if you remember, back in 2009, 2010, about the same time when I bought a new Rangers hat. And 2011 season came, and I wore that hat a lot. So much so that I began to believe something that no grown man should admit. <laughs> I thought that if I wore the hat, the Rangers would win. And so I wore it a lot. I wore it all through the playoffs, wore it all through the World Series until game six came and Nelson Cruz, not bitter, <laughs> he disproved my theory. And there I was in game seven, about to put on the hat wondering, is there any magic left? And we lost. See, I think all of us have silly superstitions like that. It's funny how sports sometimes brings that out of us, but all kinds of things in life, anything that's incredibly out of your control, we tend to do that, don't we? A lucky shirt that you've never washed, right? A little coin that you hold in your pocket before every job interview. Some little charm that you think somehow will bring good luck. This is how the people of Israel were treating God. Like a good luck charm. This is the darkness of sin. And what we have to wrestle with this morning is, are we no different? 
Are you and I no different? Do you have a relationship with the living God? Do you know that he loves you? That he is present with you? That he desires to have fellowship with you so much that he sent his own son to die for you so that you could be his own son or daughter? Do you walk with him like that day in and day out or have you treated him like a good luck charm just to pull out when you need him the most? Just to use him for your own agenda. This is what the people of Israel were doing and it didn't end well. The second thing I want to look at, the darkness of God's judgment. Look with me at verse 10. So they take the Ark of the Covenant into battle Verse 10, we're told that the Philistines fought, Israel was defeated, and they fled every man to his home. There was a very great slaughter, 30,000 foot soldiers fell. I want to stop right there. 4,000 Israel soldiers die, so they get the ark, thinking that it's going to rescue them. That if they have the ark, surely God would not defeat them. And now 30,000 soldiers die. That's 34,000 soldiers of Israel and all. But it gets worse. Verse 11. The ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now, all of this was prophesied by God to Eli twice, chapter 2 and in chapter 3. Eli knew that judgment was coming. He knew that his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, would die on the same day. But nothing, nothing could have prepared him or anyone in Israel for this. That God would allow the ark to be captured. You see, what you and I have to understand this morning is far worse. As bad as it is, this great loss of human life. Far worse was that the ark was captured. And we see this in the way that Israel responds. Verse 12, a man from Benjamin runs from the battle line. He flees and he comes to Shiloh. He's tattered, he is dirty, and he begins to tell everyone, we lost. But not only did we lose, we lost the ark too. And we're told that all of Israel gives out a shout. You see, at first, when they saw the ark going into battle, they were crying out with joy, assuming that they would be victorious. And now, they're crying out in pain and confusion. And they're wondering why. Why have we been defeated? Yes, but why would God let the ark be lost? Can you put yourself in their shoes? Can you imagine what this must have felt like for them? It was overwhelming. The ark was the centerpiece of their worship, the centerpiece of their religious life. Not only did they believe that this was a symbol of God's presence, it was the place where God came and met with them. So to lose the ark in their minds was to lose God himself. And so the news reaches Eli, 
And when he hears that they've been defeated, that his sons are dead, and that the ark has been captured, we're told that he is so overwhelmed that he falls over dead. But I want you to look at verse 18. What is it that overwhelms him the most? Not the defeat, not even the death of his sons. But verse 18 says this, as soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward. This was a judgment that Eli could not bear. The thought that they had been left alone by God. In the same way that the Bible often uses darkness as a metaphor for sin, the Bible also uses darkness as a symbol of God's judgment. Now, as I looked through so many of these verses, I kept wondering, if God is light, and in him there is no darkness, then why would the Bible say that his judgment is darkness? How is it a God of light could bring darkness to the world? And then as I began to study this passage, I began to realize something. The darkness of his judgment is not introducing anything new. You see, the greatest judgment that God can enact on us as his people is to leave us alone with the darkness of our own sin. To allow the darkness of our own depravity to consume us from the inside out. This was what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans. He says, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts and impurity to dishonoring of their bodies and themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. This is darkness. And it haunts me and it should haunt you too. Have you been left alone with your sin? Because that's judgment. That God would not intervene. That God would not bring you out of that. That God would not break your heart and my heart completely wide open to the point of rescuing us. But you see, my friends, what I want you to see this morning, this is why it always gets darkest before the dawn. Why sometimes things have to get worse before they're better. And so as we end this morning, the third and final thing I want to look at, the dawn of God's glory. At the end of all of this, we have to wrestle with the simple fact that God was the one who did all of it. He is the one who defeated Israel before Philistines. He is the one that allowed the ark to be captured. So we must ask ourselves why. Why? What is he doing? I want you to remember what Samuel told Eli. 1 Samuel 3 verse 11. The Lord spoke through Samuel and said this, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it were tingle. Our ears are tingling this morning. And they will tingle some more. Verse 19, we're told, the wife of Phinehas was pregnant. 
when she hears the news that her husband Phineas has died, her father-in-law Eli has died, and the ark has been captured, she is in the midst of giving birth. And we're told that she dies in labor. But before she dies, she gives birth to a son, a son who survives, and she names him Ichabod. Ichabod. It means, literally in Hebrew, where's the glory? Where is the glory? I don't know what darkness you face this morning. I don't know what you're bringing into the sanctuary. I don't know if you feel this darkness as oppression, darkness that's coming from outside of you, darkness just in our country or in our world, perhaps darkness in our own city, in your jobs, in your family, maybe even darkness in the form of disease and sickness. Or maybe perhaps this morning you're beginning to reckon with the darkness that's inside of you. The darkness of an addiction. The darkness of a sin that you can't seem to just shake yourself though you try every single day. The darkness of a thought life that is so abhorrent that if anybody knew what you were thinking, they would be appalled. I don't know what darkness you face. But I do know this, that when we face darkness so often, that's our question. The question of Ichabod's name. Where's the glory? It's the question that the Psalms ask so often. How long, O Lord? Where's the glory? God, where are you? Where's the glory? What I want you to see, brothers and sisters, is that God has answered the question of Ichabod's name. Where's the glory? Many years from this point in Israel's history, another son would be born at another very dark time. And God would answer the name of Ichabod with another name, the name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, which means God is with us. John tells us that in Jesus Christ, he is the fullness of glory. See, brothers and sisters, we know how the story ends. It's a good catastrophe. It's a story in which God allowed human sin to lead to the greatest rescue the world has ever known. Where he allowed darkness to consume the Sanhedrin and the people of God to send an innocent man to die for you and for me. The Gospel of Mark says this. It was the sixth hour had come There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you hear Ichabod's name? Why have you forsaken me? Where's the glory? You see, the darkness of our sin and the darkness of God's judgment fell on Jesus Christ at the cross. But on the third day, dawn came. 
and he rose again. Where's the glory in all of the darkness that we face? Where's the glory when we're overwhelmed by the darkness of our own depravity? Where is the glory when we are confronted with the darkness of God's judgment? Brothers and sisters, my friends, our glory is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And just as he came once, he is coming again. So though the darkness is all around us, dawn is coming. Let me pray. Father, we ask that you would allow that truth to sink deeply into us this morning. That we find ourselves overwhelmed by our own sin, our own depravity, and the depravity and darkness that's all around us. May we never forget that dawn came. It's here now and it's coming again. And so, Father, as we leave this sanctuary and go back out as lights into this dark world, may we glory in our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.